You're listening to episode 36 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Kim Selzman. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everybody, I really appreciate you all tuning into the show today. Uh, it's very windy and quite chilly around uh, where I live right now, but I've been finding uh, the time, at least yesterday, to uh, go outside and train uh, thanks to the conditioning program from Dr. Mark Kovacs and his book. Uh, he was a guest on the show on episode 33. I've been uh, steadily improving my conditioning, uh, rain or shine or wind or chill. So today I have an interview for you with Kim Selzman from TennisFixation.com, and she is also the host of the Tennis Quick Tips podcast. And it's a fantastic podcast where she produces uh, episodes um, of advice on, on actionable tips that you can use to improve your game. And she also comes from the player perspective like me. And I really had a lot of fun uh, speaking with Kim about, uh, you know, some of her favorite tips, including uh, tips for, to help you serve better and to just overall improve your game. And um, I think you'll really enjoy it as as I did. So without further ado, here is my interview with Kim Selzman. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tennis Files podcast. I have the honor of interviewing Kim Selzman from uh, the Tennis Quick Tips podcast, and she's also the creator of TennisFixation.com. Uh, it's really a pleasure to have a very passionate tennis player uh, like Kim on the show. Um, you know, she's a tennis player just like you and me. But she really loves the game, and she's put out a ton of awesome content and tips to help uh, everybody improve their game. Uh, I first found Kim through her, her uh, Tennis Quick Tips podcast uh, on iTunes, and I've enjoyed listening to it for several months. And um, I'm just uh, really delighted to have Kim on the show today. So, uh, Kim, welcome to the Tennis Files podcast. Well, thank you, Mirbon. I am really excited to be here, especially given the caliber of people that you have interviewed. I'm excited that you um, have actually thought I would have something to add to what your audience is getting from those uh, from those other people already. So thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Kim. You definitely, uh, as uh, I've seen, have a ton to add and you've been helping players for a very long time. Um, so, Kim, I just want to start off by asking you about your tennis background. How did you get into the game and uh, where you are today? Well, I am someone who didn't pick up a tennis racket till I was an adult. I was in my 40s. I live in Houston, Texas, and the neighborhood I live in, lots of people play tennis. And my friends were all playing, and they wanted me to join their tennis team. And I just thought, oh... I am a very athletic, smart person, and I'm going to start playing this game, and I'm going to be good at it probably immediately. 
And I just was not. And it was very challenging for me. I um, did not become good. And as you know, you know, you can spend the rest of your life trying to become good at tennis. Um, But I became completely obsessed with it because I just could not believe there was something that I wouldn't just be good at right off the bat. And so uh, I immediately, I played one season and was horrible, I immediately started taking uh, private lessons. And I thought over the summer, I'm going to take all these private lessons and I'm going to be so good when we start back up in the fall. And I think that was 15 years ago. And I haven't stopped taking private lessons since then. Um, And uh, I I just became more and more into it. I loved the competitive aspect of it because I'd never really played a sport before where there was head-to-head competition, where you were literally looking into the face of the person that you were trying to beat. I loved the social aspect of it, um, being on a team with people, playing doubles, working really closely with someone. And uh, I just loved the physical aspect of it. I really like uh, playing so much that I probably need to play less than I do because I think I, I'm i on two teams. I do team drills once a week. I do a private lesson once a week, and I teach um, an adult beginner clinic once a week. I probably need to not be out on the tennis court as much as I am, but I just really love it so much. Well, I just really love that you love tennis, and uh, it's really wonderful how you got into the game late, but it just sucked you in with uh, all the wonderful (laughs) aspects of the game. Um, And so you mentioned your involvement on the court, but I'm curious as to how you ended up creating a website and a podcast about tennis. Well, I remember I started my website a couple of years after I'd been playing and I kept looking online for a website that would have tips for someone like me, somebody who was just a regular recreational player. I knew I was never going to have a serve like Serena Williams. I was never going to hit a one-handed backhand like Roger Federer. And everything I saw out there was trying to teach me how to do stuff like that. And I just really just wanted to know some very basic tips on how I could become a better, happier recreational player. And I say happier because I, again, I wasn't trying to go on the pro circuit. I was just trying to be happy in my league tennis. And I was also looking for something that would tell me about, you know, what kind of shoes were out now, what kind of gear looked really good. I couldn't find anything that appealed to me. And so I thought, well, you know, I am just going to start doing this myself. I'm going to start talking about what I'm doing. I'm going to create a website and blog about tips I've learned. And I'll bet there's other people like me who would enjoy that. And I also knew, honestly, it took me a couple years to get up the courage to do it because I knew if I started putting myself out there like that, I would have to get better at tennis. I would have to improve to sort of uh, make people care what I had to say about it. So it was a combination of not seeing that information out there and knowing that if I started down that path, I would have to get better at tennis. Um, And 
the podcast followed not too many years later. Um, I just kept thinking, I wish I had something to listen to on my way to a match, just something quick that would remind me of some important tip that I could take out on the court. I, I just wanted someone to give me like a, a quick tip, literally a quick tip to think about right before my match. And I thought if I had something I could listen to in my car, that'd be perfect. And again, I couldn't find anything like that. I didn't want something that took me um, an hour or two to get through. So I didn't want some of the uh, tennis instructional like CDs back then that you could find. And so same thing. I just was like, well, I'm just going to start doing this myself because I know if I want this, there's other people out there who would like it too. And so that's where Tennis Quick Tips came from. Well, I love that, Kim. In a lot of respects, you sound like... Uh my female clone, because, <laughs> you know, the, the way I started as well was just uh, looking around and, you know, not seeing exactly what I thought I would find or was hoping to find. So I said, hey, you know, why not just create it myself? And then the podcast came after the website and because I just wanted some interview type style uh, podcast and it's been a, you know, great run and you're doing such a wonderful job. So I want to ask you, Kim, you know, you are the queen of uh, tennis tips. So what are three of your most helpful tips for us to serve better? Well, I actually do have some good serve tips. And when I say them, I know you'll think those are very obvious, but I talk to ladies. I even talk to guys, believe it or not, but I talk to tennis players every day who don't think about these things or they don't do these things. And I would say my number one tennis tip on the serve is to target your serve. I know you play pretty high level tennis, Mirbon. There's lots of people out there who are playing um, 3-0 tennis, 3-5, even 4-0 tennis, who are not targeting where they are serving. They are just trying to get it in the box, which, you know, the box is huge. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like if you're aiming for the box, you're really not aiming for anything. Uh, and I was that person for a long time, too. I was had been playing for years but didn't believe my serve was good enough that I could hit a specific target. And it really just took my pro saying to me one day, what are you trying to hit? And I told him, I'm just trying to get it in the service box over there. And he's like, no, no, you need to be aiming for a target. Just doing that one thing improved the quality of my serve so much, not just in that now my serve had a target to go to, but everything else had to get better to make me be able to hit that target. So I would say the bare minimum you need to be doing, no matter what kind of serve you're hitting, first, second, no matter what that type of serve is, if it's a flat serve, a hard serve, a soft, spinny serve, you need to have a target in mind. And it's really surprising how many players don't have that. So I would say get a target. Number two, again, this probably seems obvious, but again, I know there are a lot of players who aren't doing this. It's to use a continental grip. It will help you so much in applying spin to your serve. And 
when I first made that adjustment, again, it was because my pro was like, look, we cannot move to the next level the way you're holding that racket. I did not want to make that change because it felt awkward and uncomfortable. I didn't want to learn how to do all the other things that once I made the change to the continental grip were going to be necessary. And within a week, I was able to use the continental grip effectively. It just took one week. Maybe I was out on the court three or four times to overcome that feeling of awkwardness. I know a lot of people, they don't want to make a change. They're happy being where they are. But if you want to progress with your serve, use the continental grip. Again, the other parts will follow, but, but you have to start with that to be able to do the pronation, that spin, those other things. If you're not using the continental grip, you're not going to be able to do those other things. And then my third tip, and again, it seems very obvious, but I still see people doing this all the time, is to hit a good toss. And I'm not saying what that good toss looks like. What I'm saying is, I know you've probably played matches where you can see the server throws a toss up that is way off because they have to lean one way or the other, or they even have to lean backwards to hit it. But we get lazy and tired, and we just go ahead and hit it. And the rules allow you to toss as many times as you need to toss. And you should take advantage of that and never hit a bad toss. Never hit a toss that, you know, is throwing you off because you cannot hit a good serve unless you hit a good toss. And I, I've even had women during a match, maybe on the third or fourth toss on a serve, apologize that, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm having problems with my toss today. No need to apologize. You get to toss as many times as it takes, so you should take advantage of that and always hit a good toss. Don't hit a sloppy toss. Don't be lazy. Hit a good toss. So those are three tips that, you know, they're, they're easy. They're simple. I think they're tips that any pro would tell you. Probably they wouldn't tell you. They'd think you would already know them. But those three simple tips can really make a big difference in the quality of your serve. Kim, thanks so much for those, you know, wonderful tips. I think even, you know, higher level players as well, like the, some of these tips, they, they don't actually follow. And it's important to get back to the basics. And I mean, part of your evolution as a be, uh, in becoming a better tennis player, uh, first off is, um, you know, strategy and, and better mental processes. And so having a target when you serve, uh, that will help you, you know, set up the point. And, um, you know, if you just go out there and, and hit the serve without thinking what you're going to do during the point, that's not really optimal uh, tennis. And uh, the second tip, uh, excellent, you know, continental grip. Uh, there's a lot of players who you'll see on the court, they will have like this sort of frying pan grip. And so, yes. yeah, and it's really, it's not conducive at all, as you mentioned, to spin and power. And uh, I mean, you can't really pronate with, with that type of grip. And then hitting a good toss. I mean, you you see the best players in the world tossing the ball up. And if it's not a good toss, they won't hit it. So I think that's definitely a good, um, you know, good model to follow. The best in the world, you know, they catch the ball if they don't uh, throw a good toss up because then you 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 biomechanically you won't be efficient. Uh, you'll be all over the place, leaning here and there to hit the ball. So those are yeah. wonderful tips, which uh, we, our audience really appreciates. 
So another uh, tip question for you. So what's one critical tip that you follow every time you play tennis? I would say the thing I do now that every time I play tennis is stretch, stretching. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to do dynamic stretching before I get out on court. I continue stretching even while I'm playing. I'm still doing stuff. And sometimes I think I must look like a nut, but um, it's really important, I think, for injury prevention and to make sure you're getting your best range of motion. And I do um, stretching. I try to do stretching a couple of nights a week. I recently had my first major, like, tennis injury uh, mm. where I had problems with my shoulder, my right shoulder, and I'm right-handed. So it was a big deal. And I think one of the reasons I I had issues was because I was not stretching properly. And I happened to, at the same time, read uh, Novak Djokovic's book. Um, mm-hmm. And he talked about his diet, but he also talked about stretching and yoga. And so I sort of, it just happened to be at the same time I was having these shoulder issues. And I thought, okay, if I, this is what I need to be doing. I mean, I'm probably, you know, twice his age. I, I should be stretching for sure. And if I made several doctor visits, I got cortisone shot in my shoulder. I was even being evaluated for like, uh, nerve issues, but I think it was a combination of massage and uh, some physical therapy stretches that I was given that made a big difference. Um, so I would say all players need to be making that a part of their game, if nothing else, to make sure you're warmed up and that you are getting your maximum range of motion uh, when you're playing. Um, but also, as I said, I think it's good for injury prevention and, you know, that becomes important. The more you play, the more often you play and as you get older. So that's something that when I first started playing, I don't think you could have paid me money to stretch, (laughs) but now it has really become important to me. Yeah, stretching is just unbelievably important. Uh, you know, a lot of my guests and coaches that I've talked to, they've emphasized like how important this is. And as you mentioned, I mean, Djokovic, one huge reason why he is number one is because of his increased flexibility. Yeah. Um, and I know I will be in pain if I don't stretch after working out or uh, after a match. And uh, I really appreciate you also mentioning the dy- dynamic, um, uh, stretching beforehand because that's the proper stretching you want to do. I see a lot of players doing the static stretches, but that's mm-hmm. not good to do before you've had any activity. Um, so that's wonderful. So uh, another question for you, Kim, what is one tip that you've actually ended up changing your mind about recently? Well, I would say uh, maybe it's not exactly a tip, but it is something um, that I have really come around to in tennis. As I said, I play a lot of doubles and I play obviously um, with women. I don't play much mixed doubles because I play during the day. And something I have really changed my mind on is the value of lobbing. Um, 
I personally like to play a hard, fast game. I like to be up at the net. I think that's where I'm most effective. Uh, I always am going for the winner, the quick winner that ends the point, uh, even, you know, when that doesn't (laughs) necessarily make the most sense, but that's how I like to play. And for a long time, I thought lobbying was for old folks. It's uh, not a real way to play tennis. It's a (laughs) sign of weakness. And I have come to truly appreciate lobbying uh, as a very uh, important part of the game and something that I am not doing enough and need to get better at. It is uh, truly something that you can not just um, play better if you're a good lobber. You can demoralize your opponent with it as far as if you can combine that with having a good net game. Um, I just think lobbing is something that it has taken me years and years to come around to believing that I should get better at this. I need to start practicing it. I need to be able to hit a top spin lob. I need to be able to place it where I want to place it. And truly, uh, I should be running my opponents around and I'm not doing that as much as I should. So I would, I would say it's taken me a long time to accept that. Uh, and you know, I don't know why I feel that way. I know a lot of other players feel exactly that same way, but you see the pros using the lob effectively all the time. And maybe it just took me seeing Roger Federer (laughs) doing it enough to finally go, I should be learning that. I should add that as a, a real part of my game, not just, you know, something I use as the last ditch emergency effort uh, to try to get back on court. So that's been a big one for me um, recently to really tell my pro, I need to get a better lob. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think lobbying is can potentially be a huge uh, factor in the game, and I'm glad that you, you know, utilize it in in your play as well. You know, especially when when players are uh, rushing the net and stuff, you can neutralize them by throwing up some lobs, so then um, they might not, uh, you know, crowd the net as much. They might be fearful, especially in doubles. I know I've had to adjust when my partner's serving and I was at net. Uh, I'd like to stand closer. Um, but then my opponent would lob me a bunch and then I'd have to think, okay, I need to adjust my position and that gets in your head right there. And then also the player would, um, lob my serving opponent who he wasn't, uh, I'm sorry, my partner who, 
Uh, he wasn't uh, very fond of having to sprint back for the lobs, yeah. and that actually tired him out. And so we actually lost a match because of that, um, because of the strategic lobbing from our opponents. So lobbing is is very, very useful. Yeah. Um, for sure. So, Kim, uh, what types of resources do you use to keep improving your game? Well, uh, I think I mentioned I love to go to drills and clinics. Uh, I belong to um, two different clubs and try to take advantage. Both of those clubs offer those. Um, they even have some free stuff. And if you know, people belong to clubs, they should be taking advantage of that kind of stuff. I also love cardio tennis. That's something I've been way into for several years. And I just got cardio tennis certified and I'm, you know, trying to set up to uh, start teaching it if, you know, if I can fit it in with all my other (laughs) stuff that I'm already doing. Uh, So I love that stuff, you know, getting out on the court and actually hitting balls. Um, But I also listen to podcasts. I listen to your podcasts. I listen to, there's a couple of other tennis ones. I also listen to a lot of fitness and nutrition stuff, um, you know, and podcasts are free. And that's a fabulous free resource for, you can listen in your car or if you're out working out. So I'm a big proponent of podcasts. And um, I've also done several online tennis instructional courses that I really got a lot out of. Um, I've done uh, courses with uh, Ian Westerman from Essential Tennis Mm -hmm. and with Will Hamilton from Fuzzy Yellow Balls. I know you've mentioned those guys. And I even, uh, as one of my courses with uh, Fuzzy Yellow Balls, Scott Baxter, who you may remember, Mm -hmm. you interviewed him from uh, Play Your Court. He uh, did a video serve analysis of my serve one time, and that Mm. was probably two or three years ago. And I still watch that, um, still trying to correct the things he pointed out. But I know a lot of people are uh, not convinced that they can learn anything about tennis, which is a very physical sport from an online course or from a video, but I've learned a lot and I love those things because you can go back to them again and again and you can, you know, go through a course when it's convenient for you. You can look at videos late at night. So that's been a great resource for me as far as improving my own game. I've loved having the ability to get access to that kind of stuff. Yeah, Kim, I think all those resources you mentioned are wonderful and and ones that I also advise people look into. I mean, if you want to really maximize your tennis career, uh, immersing yourself in uh, high-quality resources from all these different facets, as Kim mentioned, are really uh, what you should be doing. Um, And so another resource, which are uh, books, uh, I always love asking my guests, I'm going to ask you too as well, obviously, are what are three tennis books that you would gift to a friend who wants to learn more about tennis and improve? Well, I also am a huge believer in tennis books. I have reviewed them on my website and in my podcast for a while now, but I have three books that I always recommend to people. And the great thing is they are older books. 
So you can get them used. And I would say if you have a friend who um, doesn't own these books, this would be a good gift to them. Uh, If you're a tennis captain who really wants your team all to be on the same page and uh, you want to give them each a copy of one of these books, I think it'd be very helpful. Um, My favorite tennis book is... Arthur Ashe on Tennis, Mm. um, which is an old book. It was published in 1995, uh, which was two years after Arthur Ashe uh, passed away. Mm. But it is packed with tips that are still so valuable today. They are things that can dramatically uh, improve your game and the, he he just writes about playing tennis at a time that it was a very uh, it was a hard time because of him being an African American, and yet tennis was still such an elegant sport. And I love reading um, the stories he has to tell that go along with the tips. But I love that book, and I recommend it all the time. And you know, you could probably buy that book for three dollars on Amazon. Another book that I always recommend is, of course, Winning Ugly by Brad Gilbert. Mm -hmm. I would say that was one of the first books I read, and it really opened my eyes to becoming better prepared and doing things that have nothing to do with being on a tennis court, but then can help you play better. Things like having the right gear and equipment packed in your bag, trying to find out some information about your opponent before you get out on court, uh, warming up properly, just some very basic things that a lot of people aren't doing. um, But to read him and what he was doing at his level and realizing like these are not very difficult things to do and they can make a big impact on how well you play. Plus I loved again, reading his stories of playing, you know, Boris Becker and Jimmy Connors and those kind Mm of uh, extra things that he throws in there. And the final book that I would just again, recommend to any level of tennis player is Tennis Beyond Big Shots by Greg Moran. Hmm. And Greg Moran, uh, you often see his pieces in Tennis Magazine. Uh, He still coaches and um, he has this this book again that is about playing tennis in a way that you, is winning tennis not necessarily blowing people off the court with your powerful strokes tennis uh so when you read it it's it just makes so much sense he really is showing you the types of things that you should be working on and emphasizing that can help you play more winning tennis He also has a great chapter on etiquette, uh, which is something that nobody really addresses much, and it it is very good, and when you read it, you will recognize people you have played against or partnered with. Hopefully, you won't recognize yourself, but you'll you'll see those people and how to deal with them. So I love uh, Tennis Beyond Big Shots also. Fantastic recommendations, Kim. Uh, in particular, I have really enjoyed reading uh, Winning Ugly as well, and I've learned a lot about strategy and uh, mental preparation and formulating uh, game plans by reading um, Brad Gilbert's book. So that's fantastic. So um, I do like to 
ask this question, uh, you know, during the, I guess, closing parts of the interview. So, Kim, what is one key tip that you like to give our audience that will help them improve their tennis games? You know, what I'm going to say is going to sound like so general and just like an upbeat message, but not really something actionable. But what I would say is to have fun when you're playing. I, uh, like I think I mentioned earlier, I teach an adult beginner clinic. It's all ladies. They've all just taken the game up or they haven't played for years. They want to get out there just like I started. They want to go play with their friends and they get so stressed out and so worried And a lot of us do this, no matter what level we're at, we get concerned about what others think about us. Uh, We're embarrassed when we hit bad shots. We beat ourselves up. We, and I've done this exact thing, lay in bed at night, going over matches, trying to figure out how did we lose it? Why did we choose to do it a certain way? I was that player also for years. I many times came close to just saying, I'm quitting. I I can't do it anymore. Tennis is too stressful. But it did finally come to me. I did finally come to appreciate that it is a game and it should be fun and you should enjoy it. And even Roger Federer doesn't win every day. But he's still out there doing it, and he's doing it in front of huge crowds of people. And we should all be able to get out there, have a good time, compete in an enjoyable way, uh, come back the next day, even when we lose, to play again. And so I try to tell that to my beginner students because I don't want them to waste years of feeling bad about their game, feeling uh, unhappy that they are not winning, worrying that other people are judging them. That's not what this game is about. It's a game and it's fun and you need to be having that attitude about it and enjoying yourself. And uh, that would be the big key that I would hope to give your audience if if they're not feeling that right now they need to look at what their attitude toward the game is and see if they can't get themselves closer to being happy when they play tennis um that's something i always sign off in my podcast and that's what i mean happy tennis it should be happy it should be fun uh it should be something that brings you joy and if you're not feeling that then really look at why that is and what what your attitude is and try to remember it's a fun game and you should feel happy when you're playing it. Yeah, Kim, I mean, I think that's amazingly important. I mean, the having a positive frame of mind is uh, one of the most important things to have success in anything. And if you're not enjoying, uh, not enjoying tennis, then it's it's pretty useless. You know, you have to Try to just keep positive and keep finding ways to improve, but at the same time, uh, just have fun with what you're doing. Um, so that's a, a wonderful tip that uh, we all really appreciate and we need to remind of our uh, remind ourselves of often. So, Kim, uh, where can our audience reach you? Well, I would love for them to listen to the Tennis Quick Tips podcast if they're looking for more uh, tennis tips. And that is on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play. 
it's just tennis quick tips. Um, I also have my tennisfixation.com website, and I did put together something for your listeners. Um, it's a, uh, it's a page on my website that has a giveaway that I thought they would like. It's called 51 ways to play better tennis without playing tennis. <laughs> so it's something that I know my listeners have liked and I thought yours would too. And they can find that and download it if they go to tennisfixation.com slash tennis files. And it'll be there for them. And I would say those two places, my podcast and my website, are really the best places. I have links in there to other social media I'm on. Um, but really, if you go to uh, either of those, you'll find me and you can contact me by uh, visiting the website for sure if you'd like to do that. Well, that's awesome, Kim. I just really want to thank you for coming on to the podcast today and for all of your wonderful tips both today and uh, throughout you know, the years that you've been giving them out to everybody. And you've been doing such a great job and just uh, keep doing what you're doing and uh, benefiting the tennis community, and I uh, hope to speak to you again very soon. That would be great, and thank you too, Mirabon. I'm really enjoying what you're doing, and I hope you'll keep doing that too. So thanks for having me today. For sure. Thanks, Kim. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Kim Selzman from Tennis Fixation and the Tennis Quick Tips podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed Kim talking about her favorite tips for the audience, and I highly encourage you all to visit uh, tennisfixation.com slash tennisfiles, uh, which I'll link to in the show notes at tennisfiles.com slash 36, um, for Kim's giveaway, or free giveaway, um, called 51 Ways to Play Better Tennis Without Playing Tennis. Um, really appreciate Kim coming on the show. And again, you know, great job, Kim, with your podcast and your website and keep doing what you're doing. Um, great stuff. I also would really appreciate it if you guys would leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast on iTunes or whatever other tennis, uh, excuse me, whatever other podcast app you use to listen to the show. Um, those are always helpful for me to know how I can improve and also you know, help the show um, be visible to more eyes if there's more reviews and whatnot. So I really appreciate that. And I'd like to leave you all with a um, quote, uh, as I often love to do at the end of the show. Uh, and this quote is from Peter Marshall. And he said, small deeds done are better than great deeds planned. Um, so taking action is the most important thing. So take action. Uh, based on the tips you heard today and based on all the advice that you have heard, quality advice that you think will help your game. Uh, and once you take that action, then uh, I think you will uh, see that great things happen. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.